banishes them to the desert and possible death. So the thing that is just a little different this time, Sarah enlists her husband Abraham to send away not just Hagar, but his own son, Ishmael. A little background. Um, Genesis is, for the most part, after the flood, after the Tower of Babel. Genesis is a saga that talks about the Lord's choice of a single family to be the mediators of blessing in the world, and that family is Abraham and Sarah. But before the saga even gets underway, we learned information that challenged God's choice before God even made it. And we hear in the scripture, now Sarah was barren, she had no child. So Sarah steps in and says, Abraham, take my maid, Hagar. Okay, I just have to pull this out. Friends, was it not Sarah who insisted her husband sleep with her maid? And he respectfully watched. Details about Hagar? We hear that she was Egyptian. Commentators think that she was probably Sarah's maid when she was with the Pharaoh. Yes, Sarah was with the Pharaoh for an extended period of time. So the crux of today is the woman who was initially Sarah's property, her slave, has now become her co-wife, her equal, and has become sassy to boot. Time to extradite her out of the family. You know, Hagar is collateral damage, a loose end to be tied up. This is a total aside, but if you read through this passage, I have to pull out sort of a psychological dimension that happens to all of us. And that is, nobody wants to look at anyone. Sarah sees her son playing with Ishmael, and she doesn't want to look at it anymore. She says to Abraham, get them out of my sight. And so they vanish. They get banished. I don't want to look at this problem anymore. And then Hagar, driven out into the wilderness, she can't bear to look on the death of her child. We can understand that as also. But my, my point is, when difficult things happen in our lives, don't we try to just extradite them out of our sight? You know, we're not going to talk about this. We're not going to look about that this. We're just going to have a nice week, right? But the problem is, when the sandwich is gone and so is the water, Hagar, knowing that she and Ishmael are going to die, can't stomach the pain of it all, so she sends him about a football field away. It's just too much. To look at. Another aspect of this story is the poverty. Most of us, I think, maybe there's a few of us, have no idea how your perspective changes when all you're doing is seeking to have your basic needs met on a day-to-day basis. Many of us cannot understand how all other mental processes in your life will take a back seat when you don't have enough money to pay your bills. We cannot, please take it as a given, understand basic human need if we have not experienced it ourselves. Our mission trips try to replicate this. In my original first call many years ago, I did mission every summer, one, because it was my job, two, because it reminded me what reality is. A majority of people do not have what we have. Our mission trips pull up right alongside basic need, but until you have 
charges from the bank totaling $1,200 because of return checks. You can't understand what need is. But surely, some of us, most of us, all of us may understand the sting and pain of being thrown out, dejected, betrayed, put out on the street, or simply feel expendable to the power structures holding the helm in our lives, hidden figures, hidden voices. Surely there have been times in your life where you needed more than anything just to hear a friendly voice, God's voice. Surely there have been times where you have felt utterly alone, back against the wall, no one to turn to. At our Thursday night Bible study, I have a practice of sending out an email to our folks just to say, this is where we come from, this is where we're going, and then other folks will share insights during the week. It's sort of an ongoing conversation that I really enjoy. Maggie Sell, one of our participants, sent during the week last week, because we were studying this passage, a beautiful sculpture by George Segal, and it was entitled, Abraham's Farewell to Ishmael, and it is breathtaking. It somewhat relieves our anxiety because we see Abraham embracing Ishmael. Like, oh, thank God, he's not just sending him off, but he's wrapped around him. And you can see his tenderness. You can see Sarah's rage. And you can see Hera's, I'm sorry, Hagar's resigned acceptance. This sculpture just reveals a wide array of human emotions in this enforced farewell. Unlike many of his other sculptures, this sculpture by Skull is painted in a dark and somber gray. So the colors are there to contribute to the overall feeling of sadness and somber. But what really struck me is Hagar is brighter than the rest of them. She's almost a bright white marble. And you can see how alone she is. She's folded in on herself, clutching herself. Maybe it's prayer beads hanging from her neck. She's got a bag over her shoulder, but she is alone. But yet in white. Isn't that just like God? To be at the strongest in us when we are at our most weak. And around the time I was preparing this sermon, I was watching a documentary on PBS entitled Storming Caesar's Palace. How many of you know this story? Right. It's the story of Ruby Duncan, a black woman who, after losing her job as a hotel worker in Las Vegas, joined with equality activists in a fight for guaranteed income. Ruby and other mothers took on the Nevada mob in organizing a massive protest that shut down Caesar's Palace. Shut down Caesar's Palace. These women, literally discarded, shoved out in the desert, became activists for mothers' pensions, activists for welfare, started the National Poor Mothers Movement, defied notions of the welfare queen, and were immersed in civil rights and anti-poverty organizing. What we need to do is break up all the brittle ground around our understanding of the Reagan era, if you're going to hear this today. Because the other morning I had coffee with a woman my age, 
a white woman who is advocating for women who are at home raising children for this to be considered actual work. Hey, as an aside, whenever I had to fill out my mother's occupation on any sort of paperwork when I was growing up, it was insisted that I fill out her occupation as a domestic engineer. And so recently we've been hearing the phrase a lot, servant leadership in worship. And I spoke with Marvin this week about unpacking this term, spending some time, another time, unpacking that term, because I think we need to be clear about who is being served. I know clearly that it is in our hearts to serve God. But in this world, in this world, I see that women and minorities need to learn very little about servant leadership. Because in the archetypal servant of Hagar, in the slave, if you will, we find women where women have always been, where they have always had to be, and where they will always be found, standing in the gap, giving, acting, praying. In the gap, an acronym for giving, acting, praying, making a way out of no way, searching for streams in a desert, trying to spin gold out of straw, trying to make something out of nothing, in this case, literally left holding the bag. Here is your lunch. You have heard it said, Proverbs 31 woman is a woman to be prized, but I say to you that the Proverbs 31 woman knows how to pull up bootstraps when there are no bootstraps to pull up. The gifts of women can be found in the spirit of God that has been infused into their hearts and the power of creation that has been knit into their bodies. I have come to see the true gift of women is that they are the spiritual workhorses of this world. A workout horse because it is loyal and powerful and never dormant. A workhorse because it will do exactly what is necessary whenever and wherever there is a need and someone is suffering. We see the gifts and power of women at work in the courage and chutzpah of Egyptian maidservants who defy the orders of an angry king rescuing innocent children. We see the gifts and power of women in the pain and the heart of Naomi, whose husband and sons died, and through the women surround her who offer her solace and compassion and see her pain, who know better than women how to pick themselves up and start all over again. We see the gifts and power of women at work in the widow who refuses to back down at the unjust judge's dismissal, and most especially in Mary and Martha who held Jesus to account when Lazarus died. I feel the gifts and power of women hidden in the folds of scripture. Even in Jesus' genealogy, in the first chapter of Matthew, through the hidden figures of Tamar and Bathsheba, and likewise Rahab. These women, representing events of incest, rape, and adultery, hidden in the folds of Jesus' generational flesh and yet baptized through his birth. We find women's gifts in the bearing of the Christ child at an almost inhumane age and the bearing of the truth in the most offensive sense, 
standing at the cross. Women, the first to show up and believe. Just last week, the Southern Baptist Convention voted to not let women assume the pastorate. Give me a break. (laughs) Women know that we must not run away from where battles are being faced. Women know how to stand and how to keep on standing. And when we can't stand any longer, then we will stand some more. Hagar, the Egyptian and ethnographic mother of the Arab peoples, is the first person to see God. The first person to name God, calling him Elroy, which means God sees. Hagar, the cast-off slave woman and surrogate mother, is the first person in all of Scripture to receive an angelic messenger. And the promise of the Scripture is that all the families of the world will be blessed. Twice, emphasized in this scripture and the parallel story in chapter 16 running right alongside this one that all the families of the world will be blessed because while Sarah and Abraham are scheming to control their future God takes a special interest in Hagar in the one that has been cast away God knows where to find her God knows her name God knows her occupation God knows her heartaches at home. God knows about the child in her womb. What his name will be. What kind of man he will become. I find a lot of women hidden in the folds of scripture. I think it's time to call them out. In the national conversations about radically declining church membership, has anyone asked the question that we may not be gaining members because we have not affirmed the gifts of over half of the population of its believers. And women, do not receive your seat at the table when you have been anointed to sit there. May the scales fall from all of our eyes as they did Saul when encountering the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. May we be so strengthened and inspired and now all glory and honor and power to the one who is seated on the throne, who is able to keep us from falling. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review this podcast so that we can reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. To support our ministry, go to www.haddonfieldprez.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the page. Grace and peace be with you.